Welcome to From the Valley Podcast. This is episode 7, a special edition of the podcast. Uh, today we went to a cafe called Freer's in the Wilston Village. Uh, beautiful food. It's fantastic. Uh, we held a Kedronbrook uh, business group meeting, uh, breakfast meeting there, where we all got to, to network uh, about 20 five thirty people in attendance uh our special guest uh speaker at the the breakfast was none other than trevor evans now who is trevor evans trevor evans um just had a birthday yesterday uh he is the local uh, member for brisbane so he sits in the parliament in canberra in the house of representatives he was elected in 2016 in the election there uh trevor is openly gay uh, he's a very good guy. He's done a very he's done a lot for the uh, Brisbane community uh, since he's been elected. I ran and knew Trevor uh, probably leading up to the twelve months before he got elected. Certainly uh, found he has a lot of time for the small business uh, groups in and around Brisbane and the Valley, and also uh, you know close proximity to Wilston Village, which isn't that far from the centre of town. So it was a great pleasure to have him along. Uh, so we decided, I decided to do put him on the record, uh, put it out there, get it to all my listeners to see exactly what he had to say uh, about uh, what's been happening in Canberra, what's been happening in the local uh, economy in Brisbane as well, especially in the retail space and shopfront space. Uh, Trevor is is certainly. Um, it was great to to have his time and uh no doubt we'll probably hear from him again on the from the valley podcast in the future uh this was sort of an interactive environment there were a few questions asked and uh so stay tuned this is very interesting listening um and uh thank you for listening <laughs> and on the record chat hey all right i'll be careful welcome along trimmer Uh, it's really good to be back in Brisbane for a number of reasons, actually, uh, you know, including the weather. It's uh, always much nicer here in uh, Brisbane and much nicer to be home than it is in the, in the weather in Canberra. And I guess there's probably some sort of metaphor or joke there as well if I uh, stretch it in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the storminess or the coldness of uh, weather in Canberra at the moment as well. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit actually about shopping strips like here in Kedronbrook Road uh, in a moment, but I, I figure, you know, given everything that's just happened, it would be worthwhile me addressing the elephant in the room and saying a little bit about the events of last week, what I think about it, pretty frankly, what I experienced, uh, and where to from, from here. Um, I've uh, had a lot of community feedback over the last 10 days or so, and it's, it's it, you know, thousands of emails and calls, actually. I've got 115,000 constituents enrolled on my electoral roll, and I've heard from a good 2,000 or, or, or more of them. Um, you know, it's, it, what can I say? The, the events of last week were both um, unexpected uh, and, and disappointing. Um, I, I don't intend to talk a whole lot about, you know, how people voted and, and what happened in the party rooms, that's, that's not how the rules work, but you will um, see a lot of speculation about that in the media, which is just speculation, but I can confirm, obviously, from the documents that have been released, my signature was not on the petition of signatures calling for a leadership spill. 
and I'm, I'm happy to confirm that. Many of you know from my previous talks here what my background is. I come from a small business family. I spent years before politics representing uh, the retail industry uh, on the national stage. And a big part of my um, dialogue with government then and a big part of my reason for wanting to uh, turn my hand to politics is that I felt that uh, Canberra was both unstable um, and its actions were undermining the success of Australia's small business class and uh, in particular I've been talking for years about how what happens in Canberra is not all that, it's not the whole world and sometimes the very best thing that Canberra can do is nothing at all and can, you know, it should be doing everything that it can to foster the sort of predictability, the certainty that we need so that every household, every business out there can make decisions in that sort of medium term, five year time frame. Um, that brings forward investment, that brings forward uh, spending decisions. I, I think that those animal spirits in the marketplace, uh, they've been missing in action through all the instability of the last 10 years. So how hypocritical would it have been for me to sign a petition calling for a leadership spill and the instability that that entails, uh, having been on that journey and being here for the reasons that I am. So look, that, that, that's all I wanted to say about that. Uh, other than to, you know, I'm a fairly... New politician still, two years, a few scars now, I'm, I'm, I'm learning lots. I did genuinely seek out the advice of a lot of the older hands down in Canberra over the last week and I, I wanted to get some perspective and some context from them. There's a lot of people down there sadly that have been through these sorts of leadership questions more than once over the last 10 years. And uh, the, the, the really interesting advice I got from um, some of those more experienced members and senators was in politics things are never as good nor as bad as they seem in the moment and a week is a long time in politics so that's interesting in terms of perspective um, and, and the other piece of advice that I got was um, hang on I've just I've lost my train of thought I'll come back to that um, the, the point that I'm trying to get to is that you know oh I know what it was there is, there is great reason for optimism and hope in terms of relying on the institutions of our government. At times like this, you know, politics has been volatile, not just in Australia, but around the world in, in democracies over the last 10 years or so. There are huge calls to say, well, we should be, you know, regulating this or changing this or, you know, locking down our ability to change leaders or whatever it is. I'm not convinced yet. I'm in two minds. And when I take a, a, a longer historical context and I sought the advice of those colleagues, the, the feedback I got was, well, hang on a second. These Westminster traditions, the system that we've inherited, has actually stood us in pretty good stead over the last few hundred years. And equally, all of the other countries you know, around the world who have inherited those traditions have actually had you know, a far better goal of it, a far better history, far better measurable results from this system than any of the alternative systems on offer. Um, we've got a system where we don't directly elect a leader of the, of the country. Uh, we have a Westminster system where they are the first among equals. They're elected to their own constituency, uh, and that's the system that we have. I, I, I get it. Um, you know, the, the instability that we've got at the moment is unhelpful. Um, but by the same token, the world moves on. Canberra is not everything in the world, um, and I'll just keep continuing to work for uh, you know, everything that I stand for and everything that I've been working towards. There is 
a strong theme, uh, I suppose, in the feedback that I get, uh, including the lead-up to the events of last week around the question of division, disunity, those sorts of issues. And I'm speaking very, very frankly here, so um, I don't know, Chatham House rule is, is, is an option when I'm being recorded, so I'll just choose my words carefully instead. Um, there is a role for people disagreeing in politics. That's what the whole game is about. If everybody came to the table with exactly the same mindset and exactly the same opinion on how the world works, um, then something would be wrong. Okay? We have to accept that there's going to be a level of um, conversation, dispute, debate, because these are big questions that we're all trying to solve. These are questions about priorities and what's important and what to do with you know, limited resources. So there is always going to be a level of that. And uh, rather than pointing to institutional failures in terms of something wrong with the system overall, I would be inclined to think more deeply about other ways that the world has changed over the last 10 or so years. Uh, the way that the traditional media business model has broken down, the way that uh, social media and a whole lot of new trends for all of their benefits also have some you know, potential disadvantages that we have to think about and confront in terms of um, the, the fracturing or the splintering uh, of media markets and the way that we all get our news and communicate with each other and um, are exposed to each other's opinions and views. It, I, I would make the observation that it's probably harder for governments today, and this is a cross-the-board statement, not just Australia, not just one side of politics, it's probably harder than ever before to grab a majority of the conversation and keep them all on a journey together into the future. That's, that, that's probably where my thoughts are at in terms of these sorts of observations. So, themes of disunity, themes of division, they're going to continue to an extent. But I also think when I talk to my constituents about, you know, you're, you're worried about disunity, I, I always ask for specifics. Who? What event? What, what are you actually thinking about? What, what conversation or dialogue are you thinking about in your mind? It actually comes down to a few names usually, and I, I won't name them for the purposes of the tape. But I, I actually have... I, I, I wanted to give a sense that I think a fair bit of that is going to be going away right now. Uh, I think the silver linings, if there are some to be found out of the last week, is that um, a, a generation of leaders who um, have have inherited and been part of very, um, very fractious um, uh, interchanges over the last 10 years has broadly moved on. We've moved on from that and now we are in a space where the majority of ministers, the majority of MPs and senators um, have been there only more recently and hopefully have not inherited um, that history and that legacy. So I am naturally optimistic. I promise I will keep working hard locally, but also I'll keep working hard nationally to try to keep that conversation happening. I'm not going to try to prevent debate or, or um, differences of opinion, but I do think that there's an opportunity now for you know working together, for putting all of that behind us, and I'll, I'll, I'll be trying my hardest to make sure that that happens. So, that was actually probably a 10-minute answer to something I hope to cover in two. Um, I wanted to speak very, very briefly because you're all you know, business people generally and, and this will be of great interest to you. On the Economics Committee, I have the huge um, privilege to have the Reserve Bank Governor in front of me twice uh, a year for a good dialogue and some questions and some answers and that happened just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I thought that it would be really, you'd be really, really fascinated to hear the messages that he had for us and some of the answers that he gave us in questioning. 
the Reserve Bank Governor essentially came out and said, the numbers that I'm releasing in my report this month in terms of the state of play in Australia's economy, they're a good set of numbers. And, and rarely has he delivered such a good set of numbers. They could be better. They can always be better. Um, but he pointed out that unemployment is trending down very heavily. We've just come off the back of the highest year of new jobs growth in Australia's history. Uh, we've just had um, uh, the biggest number ever of Australians transfer from welfare lines into productive and paid employment. Inflation is low and stable. Interest rates are low and stable. The country as a whole has just um, gone back into growth territory above 3% a year, which puts us basically at the head of the advanced economies around the world in terms of our overall uh, growth numbers. Uh, and, the and the budget is essentially now balanced, and at some stage, one day in the coming year, we're going to be able to officially announce that the country is officially in surplus. So um, all of those trends are positive ones. There's still a lot to work on, and those numbers could be better. But, um, you know, what an, what an interesting set of, of, of numbers, what an interesting analysis of where Australia sits compared to where it has at different times, you know, in, 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 recent, uh, in recent years. So some cause for optimism there, um, some, some cause for optimism as small business owners, I suppose, in terms of where things are going from here. And I wanted to make the point, because it's a great segue for the, the, the main local thing that I wanted to talk about here today. Those overall numbers, of course, mask a whole lot of places that are doing even better or even worse uh, you know, uh, around that. Some industries are doing really well, some industries are doing uh, not so well, and the same is true of uh, you know, individual areas and shopping strips and so on. Uh, I've made the, the observation, I guess, in recent travels, I, I've been a little bit worried about um, the vitality, I suppose, of a few of our local shopping strips in terms of the number of vacancies um, and the number of businesses flipping through some places where, you know, there, there should be a bit more stability. Um, I, I, I'll let you know that I had um, some pretty deep dialogue and conversations, for instance, with the traders along the terraces in Paddington uh, a few months back, um, where there was at one point almost, I think, 20 vacancies um, down along the terraces. Um, I have, um, you know, some similar observations about this area where we are at the moment, it being my local shopping strip, of course, living just around the corner, uh, and I think Racecourse Road as well um, has a few too many empties and probably needs, you know, a little bit of help. So, a couple of months ago, I um, knocked on some doors down in Canberra, and I asked about options. I sought buckets of funding, programs, initiatives, where it might be possible for me to help to make a difference. And, and I'm not saying that, um, you know, the sorts of things that I found are everything. All sorts of businesses I know from experience face very different challenges in terms of their operations and their viability. You know, sometimes it's about rent, sometimes it's about foot traffic, sometimes it's about all sorts of different factors and trends and short-term and long-term um, circumstances. Uh, but I wanted to let you know that I did actually find some pretty interesting options and I've had some pretty um, uh, positive feedback from some agencies in Canberra about the prospects um, of me um, basically applying for some funding for this shopping strip, for Paddington and for Racecourse Road. It's not OPEX, it's CAPEX, that's where the federal government usually can make a difference. We don't tend to do 
constitutionally we can't fund little individual things. We usually have to have larger national funding streams that can be tapped into. So that means you know, the federal government's never really been in the space of uh, you know funding people for marketing or for individual events or you know activation of shopping strips. That's not really that's probably more of a local council or a state government uh, you know level of activity. Um, but capital can make a difference in terms of rejuvenating shopping strips, giving them a bit of a, a bit of a refresh. Um, and so I have managed to find a couple of funding buckets where I am having a deeper conversation and where I am starting to let them know from my initial conversations with businesses here and businesses around Brisbane that I think there's a fair bit of community support for something like this. So let me get more specific. We're not talking millions and millions of dollars. Um, but we are talking, you know, potentially in the in the hundreds or thousands space. We're talking capital improvements. Um, I don't want to be the person who decides what what's needed and what those are. Um, my instincts would be to work through council to deliver the funding because we've uh, we've just got a good track record of delivering, you know, funding through them, and it's it's relatively easy. Um, but I'd want to be putting together some sort of. Um, structure around that in terms of a steering committee or so on of invested locals who you know know about the area and know what's what's needed and what the priorities are so in no particular order and not not saying that this is my decision or that these are my thoughts businesses that I've talked to have talked about things like um, you know heritage fixtures um, you know planting lights pedestrian safety uh, you know you name it, those are the sorts of capital projects where you know a few hundred thousand dollars could make a big difference to a shopping strip in terms of just attracting more foot traffic, engaging with the local communities, um, you know, reminding people that uh, we've got to do everything that we can to love our local shops. So um, that's where that's at. Um, I want your feedback either today or drop me a line, send me an email anytime in terms of your thoughts. I'm proceeding on the basis that I've had a pretty good. Um, pretty good feedback from from the businesses that I've been talking to so far. Um, I would probably be proposing to go and talk not just to businesses, but to local residents and so on as well, which in a way is an opportunity to remind everybody to uh, engage more with their local shopping strips. So that could be a bit of a win-win in the consultation process. Um, but broadly, that's the path I'm going down. Have a think about what you, know, you might want to see. Have a think about what might be good in an area like this. Um, and let me know about it. Give me your feedback and uh, very happy to take any questions. So yeah, we have probably about five minutes for questions. Thank you very much, Trevor. Any, any questions at all? I'll, I'll, I'll fire up with one, Trevor. I've actually sure. got back the day before the uh, we, we flipped another Prime Minister. Yes. Um, you, know, you might recall, we, before you were elected, we had a conversation about uh, politics and, and the way we seem to be playing the, playing the man and not the ball. Yeah. Um, it occurs to me that that's precisely what's happened. Yeah. In a in a an environment of compulsory voting and uh, three year flexible terms, it, it occurs to me that we don't get any real traction. Uh, you talk about new policies. You've maybe got nine months, the maximum, to get that out funded and um, and progressed. Yeah. Four year terms with a fixed election date maybe smooths the political process. Yeah. In my opinion, I'm yeah. interested in what you're uh, uh, Well. Uh, sign me up 
Um, <laughs> uh, the, all of the states around Australia have moved or are moving to four-year fixed terms. And, and I'll just let you know a little bit about my experiences. So I've, I, I did um, take a year out of my career early on uh, to go and run a minister's office once, which was you know, a really good background and experience. And what it, what it means is that I, I have seen politics both now as an MP, but also many, many years ago. And it strikes me that 10, 15 years ago, three-year terms meant you got in, you had a year to bed down to deliver on your election commitments, you had more than a year of good governance and so on in the middle, and then in the last six months or so, everybody would strap their boots on and move into re-election campaigning. I've got to be honest, my experience now is that people are moving into re-election campaigning more than a year out which means that the actual time of stable and good governing in a business-as-usual fashion is now less than a year in a three-year cycle, which is, you know, no, you know which, is, which is challenging. Um, there are, at a federal level, you need to have a referendum to change the, um, change the, the length of, of terms. Um, I would suggest that we're probably already um, lent on the people, um, you know, at least once in the last year to make decisions when, when um, governments couldn't progress things. Um, you, you don't want to be going to the, the public in terms of referenda or postal surveys or whatever it is, you know, all of the time. And I'm actually not completely sure that the majority of the Australian people would vote for, um, you know, giving politicians an extra year and more stability. I'm, be I'm being very honest. I'm, I'm just not sure that they would. They did in Queensland. Um, they had that little vote alongside an election, what, a year or a couple of years back, and but it was still like 52% yes, 48% no, very, very, pretty close. So in, at a federal level, you'd need a majority of people in a majority of states. Um, so that, that's a challenge, just, it is, it's, it's not an easy one to move. Uh, and broadly, I'd agree with your comments about, I think, it, it, the next, the next nine months, I don't think, is about coming up with a you know radically different bunch of policies. I think you know broadly, uh, you know the policies have been um, taking a back seat in the last week or so to, to personalities, as as you said. So I, I wouldn't expect to see a radical redrawing of, of, of policy in the in the next few years. It's probably more about the the marketing and the sales job and the and the personnel than anything. Um, and and so. Yeah, I'll, I'll wrap it up then. So I've got time for a question or two more. Thank you so much for taking the interest in this group and having it as well. You know, we all know, all locals know, that's exactly what we need. So thanks for Thank you. Uh, do we have any sort of questions about the local area sort of issues and uh, We'll have a think about it. Shoot me a message anytime if you do. No need to write to me too formally. A couple of dot points in an email or something is, is perfectly sufficient. So. I, think, I think following on from that, Trevor, the big feedback we did see was that bringing the nightlife back into the village, getting more restaurants in, getting more, more attractive street lighting, lighting trees, that was, that was an overwhelming comment that we received back from some of the businesses, was getting the light back in that night village, because I don't know it as residents Have you noticed that it's not? what it used to be. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was, yeah, a big, big feedback for you guys. So, and I suppose it's been trying to negotiate with the to see the people in the area. So, yep. and spending locally. 
Yeah. Is it maybe that people um, spending money on electricity rather than going to um, restaurants and eating out? Is it an affordability issue? Well, I think just to make a comment on that. Um, pointed out that uh, things are basically getting better and better. Um, it's, what, what gets spent in this uh, area is, is people's spare money, after they pay the mortgage, the electricity, um, uh, the private knowledge, uh, yeah. school fees, all that. What's left over? It's not a scarf for dinner time. And uh, yeah. I think uh, in the last, or well, certainly the last 10 years, it's been a drop off of that discretionary spending. The people that get hit first is the hospitality and retail. And uh, uh, if you do see improvement in wages, uh, um, people have that extra cash to spend to have a night out. I think that would be a long way to uh, help out because cafes, to their credit, around here. We've seen that with our business group breakfast. They get their prices down or even reduce them. Um, and uh, and they, they're very fine margins for them and get this crap back in. Yeah. Robert, you're absolutely right. Um, as as someone who pays close attention to the statistics, I always look at those household numbers that the RBA publishes in terms of uh, disposable income levels, the savings versus spending ratio, and things like that. The RBA governor had a little bit to say about that, actually, and um, he noted a couple of things. First of all, that the wages growth is starting to pick up. The, the employment market had to suck up all of that spare capacity with unemployment too high first, and then the scarcity of labour kicks in and, and then um, you know wages um, rise from there. So the numbers there have turned the corner and are starting to head up again. The other point that he made, of course, was that uh, disposable income is a factor of all of those expenses, um, one of which is tax. And so tax cuts also uh, help put a little bit more money in people's pockets. Yeah. Yeah, OK. Any other final questions before we um, let's sit down and have some breakfast? Thanks, everyone. No, Great thank to you see you, much you Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much for your time, Trevor. That was that was really really good. So.